This episode of the Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Data Center World, the global conference for data center facilities and IT professionals. Join industry colleagues in San Antonio from March 12th to March 15th, 2018 to discover solutions to real-world data center problems. Learn more at datacenterworld.com. Again, that's datacenterworld.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Data Center Podcast. Uh, I have here with me today Prasanna Sundararajan. He's the founder and CEO of Reniac. They're an IO acceleration technology company. Prasanna, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me over here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, your background? How did you end up in, in tech to begin with? And then also, how did you um, end up focusing on this particular area of tech? IO acceleration. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, uh, to, to, you know I started my career at uh, Xilinx. Xilinx is a market leader in an FPGA uh, provider and uh, spent several years in their applied research lab, you know, coming up with new ideas, prototyping new ideas. And uh, the last few years of my research in Xilinx focused on uh, data center space. And, uh, you know, I transitioned from being an applied researcher who you know, come up with ideas, prototype the ideas, you know, file patterns, show the value of the ideas to, you know, what does it take to take, <coughs> uh, why customers are buying what Xilinx is manufacturing. So I became an architect. And uh, very early on, you know, in 09, and I, uh, I was actually going and visiting now what would be called the data center customers, where it was called the computing customers, storage customers, and server customers. And I saw the writing in the wall. The writing in the wall is, you know, heterogeneous computing is going to enter the data center. Uh, companies like Google are having tech teams that tightly integrate software and hardware together for providing business value. But to reproduce that technology or reproduce that process for a wider set of customers means, you know, there has to be system solutions companies to do that tighter integration of hardware and software for the data center efficiency. So I saw the writing in the wall, and uh, that's how I started. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. How did you end? Um, how did you end up at Xilinx? Um, you know, my I've spent my graduate studies doing research on um, you know speeding up uh, workloads on FPGAs. Okay. And uh, that's what led me into uh, that gave me an opportunity, natural uh, you know path into work for an FPGA company. Mm -hmm. And where did you go to school? Um, so my graduate studies was at the University of Toledo. And then, uh, you know, uh, five years ago, I did my uh, MBA from Cal, mm -hmm. um, UC Berkeley. So. so you kind of chose FPGAs from the start? Yeah, our FPGAs chose me. <laughs> <laughs> they chose you? <laughs> you know, I, I, I always have approached, um, if you look at my graduate studies, it is about how do you speed up on get the benefits of FPGAs without disrupting the software stack. That was one of, but the focus on application was what, you know, we, I sped up ray tracing algorithms on FPGAs. Mm -hmm. That was my graduate work. And then when I started working for Xilinx, it's, uh, it's all about research, it's also about how do you exploit and the benefits of FPGAs without disrupting the software stack. So uh, it, 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 graduate studies was the same theme, it kind of continued into Xilinx as well. So, I see. Yeah. Okay, and... Uh... Transition to Reniac. How how was it founded? Uh, why? Yeah. Um, I, I think you're not the only person from Xilinx, right? At Reniac, there's a right. So my co-founder is all you know. I met my co-founder at Xilinx. He you know uh, his name is Chidambar Kulkarni. 
you know, uh, he focused on uh, networking bottlenecks inside Xilinx as his focus of research. And I focused on server side and storage side, uh, you know, uh, end of it. And we said, look, we might be able to solve with our knowledge um, uh, IO bottlenecks facing in the data center. And we said, uh, we went over to our respective bosses inside Xilinx and we said, we want to form a systems company that leverages the benefits of the FPGAs and uh, that we can take it to the market. And uh, so we quit Xilinx in 2012 and uh, since then we've been running the company. Okay. Um, so let's dive into the technology of Rainiac. Um, what does it do specifically? How are you guys using FPGAs to accelerate IO? So um, there are certain class of things FPGAs are really, really, really good at, which is if you look at you know, routing data, operating at line speed, as in networking line speed, and also sitting close to you know, storage and you know, um, irrespective of the storage protocol, quickly access the data. So given those are the benefits of the FPGAs on the networking side and storage side, we said we want to place the bet there because that also would give us opportunity to not disrupt the software stack. So there as opposed to placing them on the compute. Right. Here. If you look at predominantly on the compute side, if you place your bet on compute side, then it is going to be what type of compilers and tools are you building to compile a compute algorithm into FPGA. That would force compilation, which means you're disrupting the software stack. Versus if you come from IO side of it, which is networking related bottleneck storage-related bottleneck, data access-related bottleneck, you have an opportunity to develop a technology which is gives the benefits of the FPGAs without disrupting the software stack. And the reason I bring that to that is we had a very simple observation early on. World is moving um, towards open source. If you rewind the clock five, six, seven years ago when we were still at Xilinx, we saw a trend. World is moving towards more and more pervasiveness of open source which means that, as an example, if you have a proprietary database, I cannot look into the bottlenecks of the proprietary database because the code base is the company that owns the database. Versus if it is open source, I can go look into the inefficiencies and where the bottlenecks are by looking up at the open source projects. So we said we can get visibility into where the bottlenecks are by looking up these open source uh, uh, software. We know what the benefits of the FPGA is. And we need to marry these two things together. And you guys looked at like Couchbase and MongoDB. We we looked at you know Cassandra. We looked at HBase. We looked at uh, you know MongoDB as an example. We looked at Hadoop, right? right? So we looked at variety of open source uh, data centric uh, workloads that we have looked in. Okay. Yeah. So, so okay. So you you look you look you looked at the code and yeah. Okay. And so what, um, can you maybe describe some of the bottlenecks that you found? Oh, absolutely. So one of the early observations based on our own experiments uh, is we found out that as high as 75% of the CPU cycles is spent on system and I.O. Uh, related uh, uh, system calls or uh, you know, in, the, in the software stack. And only 25% is spent on what I call as a business logic. Business logic is you as an end customer writing something to extract value out of the data that is very specific to you, right? So if you have 75% inefficiency, as high as 75% inefficiency, there is an opportunity to go, you know, uh, reduce the inefficiency if 
and it's certainly not possible to eliminate it completely, but it reduces the inefficiency. But the more that you can reduce that in 75 percentage of I/O and system uh, bottlenecks, you create value to the customer, and that was validated by our customers. Uh, ex uh, well, validated by our customers, validated by our own experiments. That was our starting point, and we also saw you know studies from companies such as IBM saying that look, the I/O cycles are uh, pretty high mm -hmm. for data workloads. Yeah. Okay, and so how do FPGAs um, in your guys' system? How do they um, increase that efficiency. So, um, uh, if you if you go and push further on what type of bottlenecks that we solved, you know, out of the 75, 15, 20 percentages, you know, networking transaction processing, then getting a request via the network in a distributed system, then another, you know, 10, 15 percentage on, you know, workloads such as, okay, this is an operating in a secure environment with a compressed data. That's about another. You know, compression-related cycles, security-related cycles, and then accessing data, which is in a SSD. So we said, if FPGA can merge uh, processing of network requests with an awareness of the application, which is a database transaction or a data workload, that is really L3 to L7 kind of optimization of a networking stack. Accessing data faster, which is stored in a physical medium, which is typically database writes storage engines. But we said, look, we can actually write something similar. That's the strength of FPGAs, bypass the CPU to get to the storage uh, on the server side. And the third aspect is any compute that comes along the way. Data is compressed, so we need to uncompress the data. Data is encrypted, we need to encrypt the data and unencrypt the data depending on where you are. So if you merge all these. Um, functions on the FPGA, network processing, storage processing bypassing the CPU, or very minimally bypassing the kernel of the, to be specific, not the CPU, you cannot bypass, in some cases you cannot bypass the CPU, mm -hmm. but bypass the kernel, um, and uh, essentially, you know, do computes along the way, then you have attacked at 75%. And, and uh, encryption, decryption. Yeah, encryption, decryption, compression, uh, so mm -hmm. from a compute standpoint, it's about filter operations, encryption, decryption, you know, running consensus algorithm, coordination algorithms, and things like that on the FPGA. I see. Yeah. Um, and and why are FPGAs particularly good at doing that? I mean, I guess alternative would be GPUs. Would that correct? Um, see, there is space for um, uh, GPUs. GPUs certainly have a you know uh, space in solving and accelerating workloads. <coughs> and even if you write completely. Um, what I would call as a different paradigm for software for multi-core, you can still get there. So let me give you, I mean, if you're, what the alternatives are, we looked into multi-cores from companies such as Cavium, we looked into those. And then we looked into, um, you know, GPUs as well. I mean, again, when we started the company five and a half years ago, what we looked at was GPUs didn't have a path to bring network packets directly into the GPUs because you have to go through the CPU to get into the, push the data into the C, you know, GPU. So we wanted fast network terminations, protocol terminations of network packets ins inside the silicon. FPGAs gave you that. Um, second thing that we looked at was storage access, or how do we bypass the kernel uh, you know, of a CPU like x86. And we said, look, storage protocols can be implemented on the FPGA. Fusion IO is a great success, because they implemented you know, uh, storage controllers on the FPGA as well. And so storage protocol is. And uh, FPGAs as inherently is also good in um, you know certain fixed compute workloads like any fixed workloads are compression, encryption, filters, scans. 
those workloads can go into FPGA. So it's a combination of, you know, wanting to have that example protocol termination, which GPUs did not have then. Um, wanting to have a fast path to storage, which you can get, you know, minimally disrupting the kernel uh, or the, uh, utilizing the kernel, and then you know any compute algorithms along the way. So today, absolutely, GPUs are great on compute acceleration. When it comes to I/O acceleration that involves network and storage, GPUs are coming along. It's not there yet. Mm -hmm. uh, multi cores, like you know, really fast CPUs. And I'm sorry, what do you mean by multi cores? So when I mean by multi cores is Intel roadmap. You look at Intel roadmap. Right? Okay. That's a classic multi core architecture, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are companies like, uh, there is new frameworks, as an example, like C-Star framework, that gives you a new paradigm of writing, you know, close to the hardware or close to the metal programming, the multi-cores from x86. That's another approach to speeding up, but that involves a programmatic paradigm change, mm -hmm. right? That's another approach to it. I see. So, so when we looked into these things, of course, C-Star was not there, then GPUs were there, we looked into it, we looked into you know, uh, uh, silicon from cavium, then we looked into FPGAs. And of course, you know, we are from Xilinx. We know how to do uh, FPGA work very, very well. So, um, but we evaluated it. You know, we had calls with NVIDIA. We had actually meetings with cavium. And then we said, look, we will have a complete control over stack from the networking storage, as well as from a compute perspective, if we walk down FPGAs, if we can solve the software problem. Because the benefits of a CPU, benefits of a cavium, benefits of an x86 is a software problem is much uh, easier to solve there because it's software that you're writing. Here we have to make an hardware look like a software, <laughs> right? I see. And um, how how do customers consume this technology? Um, so, deployment standpoint. Uh, we are available on on-prem solutions today. I'll elaborate that what that means. And we are also working on supporting it on the cloud platform. You know, thanks to cloud vendors such as AWS, which has put an FPGA instance called F1 in the cloud. And other cloud vendors are already announcing similar initiatives. So we are supporting cloud and hybrid model, you know, combination of cloud as well as uh, uh, on-prem. So from deployment standpoint, private cloud, on-prem, uh, uh, hybrid as well as public, that's one from a consumption deployment standpoint. From physical deployment standpoint, if you look at it, for customers who are going to be deploying on-prem, Intel is selling FPGA-based accelerator cards. We'll use that or similar cards from companies such as Xilinx and then bundle our software. Our software runs on, portion of our software runs on CPU, portion of our software runs on FPGA, but that's the physical form factor, a card that goes into um, you know, a standard server and our software then leverages the soft uh, underlying card by running it software on it on the FPG and also on the CPU. Yes, you guys don't actually sell the hardware. No, we don't build hardware. And in the cloud, we have a similar architecture provided by the likes of uh, Amazon, mm -hmm. FPG F1 instance, and we leverage that cloud platform as well. Do you guys have plans to do the same in Azure? Uh, yes. Okay. Whenever Azure comes up with their own uh, public uh, FPGA as a service instance, mm -hmm. absolutely yes. Yeah. There's nothing limiting us from supporting any of these cloud platforms. I see. I see. Uh, and um, in so when when somebody when a customer wants to use it in in, in Amazon, yeah. Um, do they 
buy your software as a as a service? Like, is it is it one of the services that Amazon offers, or or do they buy a license from you? How does it work? So you know, the truth of the matter is, we're in the very early days of experimenting the business model because uh, FPGA instance from Amazon, for instance, went to GA, uh, general availability, April of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that you know. Uh, there is opportunities to provide as a service, as an application in the marketplace that customers can just buy and charge or get, um, you know, pay as on a need basis, on a demand basis as they use it. That is one model that's prevalent in the cloud. And, uh, you know, I see that model as a sustainable model, uh, you know, uh, when you are in the cloud. I also believe there are going to be strategic initiatives where certain customers in the cloud are wanting to say, look, can I actually license your software and you know put it part of my stack. That will lead to strategic licensing, even though we are running inside a cloud. That's another business model I see as certainly um, uh, one of the viable business models. Scaling can happen, for instance, many small medium customers directly using the market app, marketplace app, versus strategic deals could be direct deals. You know, We still run in cloud, but it will be the licensing model is directly with the customer. Mm-hmm. By you know working closely and integrating our product into their environment. Could you explain a bit more the the hybrid setup when uh, when when you have when the customer has both you know on prem yeah and they're, they're using some um, AWS instances yeah. so they would run um, your software across both environments and yeah what would, and what would be the, the so benefit there? I mean l- let me elaborate one use case that we heard from one of the customers right. And this is a customer, they are in the process of moving their, what I would call as batch processing or offline processing into Amazon. And then their serving system, which is, hey, I'm going to have a bunch of systems. Um, When you go on the web, it is going to personalize the content to you. And that system is going to be pulling this data of your user profile in real time based on who you are what you have done in the last few days in the web, looking up your history, personalize the content or personalize the advertisement or personalize the experience to you. That real-time serving system is actually uh, in the private, uh, on their, in their own in, uh, data center. So when they have, as an example, such a setup, what this customer was saying is, look, I'm gathering user patterns while I serve and personalize this data. This user pattern needs to be crunched, analyzed offline in a batch processing mode in a Hadoop-like environment in the AWS. So I have to be one end serving this so that it gives a very personalized user experience. On the other hand, take the metadata associated with this uh, serving this uh, personalized content and take it for analysis so that I can further refine my targeting in my real-time serving. And so their requirement was Help me serve the data fast, quick, and uh, help me with personalizing the content, while be a link between the private cloud and the public cloud to transport the data to my, uh, you know, batch processing systems running inside, uh, you know, something like AWS. I see. Yeah. What are some of the so that that's so that sounds like a, an advertising or an e-commerce kind of application. Yeah. Yep. Um, are there other examples where this is particularly effective? So the other uh, area where we are beginning to see is customer experience, you know, 360 experience. What does 360 experience mean? It means that, as an example, 
you walk into front of a bank and they want to quickly look, look you know, when you're standing in front of the counter, pull up your profile <laughs> on various sides of the departments of the bank has, you know, wholesale section, you know, mortgage section. So can the representative sitting in front, uh, uh, you know, across the counter, you know, talk more personalized way based on what you have done with the bank and things. So that involves pulling data from multiple sources, you know, building a profile in real time, but pulling data from multiple sources means multiple databases, and that, which means that faster database access, which means uh, it translates to very specific SLA. SLA is how quickly am I looking up at content in the database. That's where we come in, which is like speeding up database transaction, predictable latencies in database transactions, that's what we offer. Did you guys would, and you guys offer the SLA? We, we offer the predictable uh, access to the database. Right. So our, our value proposition is um, predictable lower latency, higher throughput, without disrupting the software stack. Mm -hmm. So you as an end customer, for instance, if you have a NoSQL database, and you're storing these user profiles in NoSQL database, if you look up Mongo, for instance, they talk big about you know, customer experience, you know, 360 view of the customer, Similarly, you can also see that with uh, you know company like DataStacks and Cassandra guys talking about how they store a history of data of a customer so that they can analyze the content on a time series basis. All these databases require predictable uh, access when they access the data, and we uh, um, when we have this I/O accelerator that we have built based off of FPGA, we would speed up the transactions of the NoSQL databases. That's our starting point. Mm -hmm. And so, and it doesn't matter what kind of database as long as it's open source. Um, that's the philosophy of it, right? I mean, there's always, you have to um, uh, get your product ready to support multiple database, but the core engine that we have built, is the best way to think about that is, there's a core hardware engine that runs on the FPGA that is pretty reusable across multiple databases. Then you have a software driver and a wrapper that goes around it that now makes it ready for uh, you know, plug and play for Cassandra, or it can be actually made plug and play for Mongo. So as far as we are concerned, there are customizations that are, uh, you know, development driver works needed for to support multiple databases, but the core hardware engine, IO engine, you know, is reusable across multiple databases. Mm -hmm. Typically for any LSM, which is lock-structured merge-based databases, we can reuse this engine, core engine. Mm -hmm. Could you use it with Oracle? With Oracle. Yeah. Um, See, the challenge is Oracle is a proprietary database. Right. So you don't know what bottlenecks you're solving. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you know the architecture, um, and if you know, you know well-tested ways, if you have a cache in front of Oracle, you can actually speed up that, right? Mm -hmm. Query cache. You know, for those use cases with a proprietary databases such as Oracle, we can use that query caching as an okay. example. But generically, you know, uh, a breadth of how we would solve it inside Oracle, those are to be as we learn more, we would know more. <laughs> I see. But sounds like you guys are, aren't going to kind of go out of your way to to pursue customers uh, that need that Oracle acceleration. Well, our starting point, if you look at it, is open source databases where we have good visibility of the bottlenecks. And the timing of it cannot be better because there is so much prevalence use of you know, Cassandra, Mongo, Hedgebase, various open growing, source databases, yeah. right? And uh, you know, th if there is enough market there, you know, given the size of the company where we are, there is enough opportunity there for us. Uh, in the future, we would look into proprietary database, and that is also where once you prove the technology in certain open source database, it naturally opens up 
discussions from these database vendors to say, hey, how can I leverage this, right? I see. Uh, yeah. And you can also look at it in a slightly different way. The slightly different way is Cassandra is there, but you know, DynamoDB from Amazon competes with Cassandra in some ways, right? Bigtable has a similar open source implementation. So our our thinking is if you prove it to this open source database that opens up you know discussions that shows the value for some of these similar proprietary databases that we can approach the vendors with. I see. So um, let's talk about um, why why is now uh, a particularly good time to do this? Obviously, one part of it now that you've mentioned open source that that yeah. that there's so much growth there and they're so popular open source databases. What about generally um, accelerating you know access to to data? Uh, is that just because people need faster analytics now? And well, uh, the the data access or accelerating data workloads is uh, the timing again could not be better because um, look at the type of companies that is going that have gone public. Cloudera went public. Mongo just went public. So there is a validation that there is a new breed of data stores, NoSQL or Hadoop-based systems that are capable of handling production systems. These customers have, it's no more these open source technologies such as Mongo, Cassandra, Hadoop, are, are they viable? No, it's well-tested now. Production deployments are already there. It's about scaling, scaling, scaling. And once you start looking into scaling problems, you start, you know, when especially these production systems, open source databases runs on, you know, commercially off-the-shelf servers, there's an opportunity for bottlenecks there. In the past, when you scale, you ran into, you know, performance bottlenecks, you went and built an appliance. <laughs> Today, these open source technologies are running on, you know, uh, servers, standard servers. So there's not an appliance that is running these databases and these data stores where it could be optimized like the past. So the approach then for us is how do you give the benefits of what the appliances used to give when you wanted the more performance and larger scale within a standard server? And the timing of it again from a technology standpoint is, you know, Intel is driving these FPGA-based accelerator cards and you know advanced SSD technologies such as 3D crosspoint Optane and NVMe into these servers. So if you imagine from now into the future that the standard server is going to have these FPGAs uh, as a part of their server, SSDs as part of the server, and the fact that the as the scaling of the data increases on these data stores such as Hadoop and NoSQL on the standard servers, there's a need to go optimize this IO bottleneck, we come into the play. I see. And so what are you guys up against? Who, who, who do you consider your key competitors? Companies, technologies, alternatives? Yeah, see, th there are always alternative ways to solving the same problem, right? Um, you know, uh, some of the companies, I don't, I wouldn't call it direct competitors, but we are also, a you know, in the startup world, it's about how is the company going to evolve in the future? But as you are evolving, you know, who are all solving similar problems, right? May not be direct problems, but similar problems. So example is, you know, there are GPU optimized databases, right? MapD is a classic example, and they're doing phenomenally well. 
But if you look at it, they went and rewrote an entire database optimized for uh, G, uh, optimized and running on GPUs. That's also data acceleration, but they have their own set of customers, they have their own community, right? And then you also have, you know, uh, companies such as, uh, you know, certain, I've come across appliance companies, they say, look, my value proposition is building appliance, even though the world is cloud, but I'm gonna build an appliance to opt optimize. There are some of those, you know, stealth startups I've actually ran into, right? These are two examples I can see, and then the third example I can also see is, you know, specifically, this is a little bit out there, which is, can I go build a chip specific to do something like this, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we're seeing chip companies coming through for specifically for AI purposes, which if you look at it, AI also needs access to data. So, so net-net I see is you can go rewrite the database and write a new database and run it on GPU, or rewrite completely to, you know, on a new paradigm, uh, for CPUs, like C-Star Framework, there is a company called Scylla doing that. Or go, you know, speed up on FPGAs, or go build your own chip. Chip is a little bit out there, but, you know, it's on, we are seeing more chip companies on AI, not for database acceleration just yet. But these are alternative ways I see. And there is a place for, uh, you know, there is a place and there is a strategy. Our strategy is open source, marry that closely with uh, hardware and FPGA, and make it as simple as possible to use without disrupting the software stack, which is, that's the approach we take, versus if you look at MAPT, you have to move the data into their database to get the benefits of it. You know, our, our model is, have you deployed Cassandra, or have you deployed this open source NoSQL? Would you like to get more out of it? You don't have to migrate the data or anything else. Use this class of new breed of servers, or this type of new instances from the cloud, and deploy our software, you get more performance, more scale, predictable latency versus other companies may come and say, move your data to my database, I'll give you those benefits. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So Intel Capital recently uh, became an investor. Um, can you talk about what that means for you guys? Um, there's alignment to us and Intel Capital on you know, some key fronts. Uh, for a small company like ours, you know, what you need is a credibility of standing before really large enterprises and customers, right? When you are part of, you know, Intel Capital, you also get access to how to, you know, work very closely and aligned with the sales force of Intel. So one alignment that we see here is the immediate immense value that we see here is how we leverage their sales force and show and get access to these key strategic customers. That's one benefit. From a technology perspective, I mean, there was an announcement in the recent uh, times where Intel has put out FPGA branded cards. And these, again, if, if you look at it, you know, how do we run this FPGA, uh, our software on this FPGA branded card taking advantage of the x86 servers, there's a technology alignment there. Those are the, you know, uh, technical benefits and go-to-market benefits there with working with Intel, and Intel Capital facilitates these things. I see. So is there... Do you, are you guys collaborating with Intel on the technology also? I cannot go into the details of it. Obviously, you can understand, but you know you can see that if uh, there is there is alignment there. Yeah. I see. Okay. Okay, Prasanna, I think that should do it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Uh, appreciate you giving us an opportunity to talk about us, and also uh, hopefully this was useful, and this will be useful to the your community as well.
This episode of the Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Data Center World, the global conference for data center facilities and IT professionals. Join industry colleagues in San Antonio from March 12th to March 15th, 2018 to discover solutions to real-world data center problems. Learn more at datacenterworld.com. Again, that's datacenterworld.com.